Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you today, turn with me to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Now, I have to tell you, this is my favorite subject in the entire world. It is drama. Drama. Now, you've heard me comment before, and I think the Lord has a sense of humor because I really don't like drama. I really don't like drama, but it's a fact of life. It just, uh, it's inevitable. It's going to hit you at any given moment. And what blows me away so much is how do we respond to the drama? And, you know, in a lot of ways, it creates more drama, you know, depending on how we respond. And it's so beautiful to see this in the passages of Scripture because what happens is if we get in a, a, a model, you know, something to adhere to, something to follow, but that's not to say that drama won't happen because it's just a fact of life. Drama's going to hit you. And so let's look at chapter 15 of the book of Acts. And here in verse 1, now remember the, the uh, uh, Paul and, and uh, Barnabas, they're in Antioch. You know, not the Antioch in the west, but the Antioch in the north, north of Jerusalem. And it says here in verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea. And so, you know, you know, Look at the maps, you know, in the back of your Bible, look at your maps to kind of uh, get a, a, you know, an idea of the perspective and start in Jerusalem and you'll see north in Jerusalem, there's Antioch and then you go left, you know, and then you'll see Antioch, which is, you know, uh, like you see Cyprus, the island of Cyprus and you go north of that, you go through the water and then you see north of that, there's a little Antioch up there. So that's the Antioch in the west and so this Antioch in the north is where uh, Paul and Barnabas are. But check out the maps. You got to do that because it's so cool. You'll, you'll kind of get an idea, a little perspective of like, wow, you know, they were all over the place. Remember the age of no social media. It was old school. You know, they didn't have like texting, no phones. It was old school. If they wanted to talk, if I wanted to talk to you guys, I'd have to like walk to your house, you know, or get on an animal or I don't know. So look what happens, you know, well, I meant, you know, or today it's phone call, but, you know, let's look and see what happens here. It says, certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren. It's very interesting because, you know, I would say that something was set ablaze. Because what they start to teach inside the church. Remember, when you see brethren here, keep in mind that they're young churches. They're, they're just freshly started in the, during this, these missionary journeys. Freshly, freshly started. And so, you know, what happens is that you have this uh, doctrine come in that doesn't align with Scripture. So these guys started to come and it says they taught the brethren, and this is what they taught. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow, that's the law. That's the law straight up. And you always remember here in this particular passage, these churches, they're babies. They're like little lambs, you know. They have like the uh, 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 elders established what we, what we read in the previous chapter. You know how Paul would go in and you know they were going to leave town, but before they left town... You know, in certain areas, they would appoint, okay, you know, you're well-versed in Scripture. You, you have a, a good witness. So, you know, we're going to appoint you as elder here. And so they're young churches, but, man, this new doctrine is coming in. And I love this so much because it's not just new doctrine. What it is, it's the law. I mean, put yourself in that situation. I mean, say, for example, we're believers, like fresh, fresh, fresh believers, and we're so like on cloud nine, like, wow, you know, we thought before Jesus Christ, we were going to burn in hell. And now we're, you know, like new believers, praise the Lord. And we're just so rejoicing. 
I shouldn't say say, for example, we're believers, but like so put yourself in those situations as a, you know how it is when you have the exuberance of life as a new believer. And then all of a sudden, a couple guys come in and they say, you know what? You cannot be saved unless, and then fill in the blank. And in this particular case, it's uh, the circumcision. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses. It's like, wait a second. I can't be saved. I thought I had salvation in Jesus Christ. Now I can't be saved. You know, my family can't be saved. My friends can't be saved. It's what, uh, what it presents to the church. It's very, very harmful. Incredibly harmful. And I love verse 2. Because it says, Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, I love this so much. No small dissension and dispute with them. Translates as no small disagreement, dispute, debate, argument. You see, now we're going to see a shepherd role in the protection of the sheep. I mean, we've seen the, uh, uh, the fisherman role. We've seen the warrior role. We've seen the shepherd role too in, in, in protecting but then now we're going to see the, 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 the shepherd role in protecting this, this flock, the flock of the Lord, lambs and sheep, God's people, God's people. You know what would happen today if new doctrines were to come into the church? People would say, let's just love on them. Let's just love on them and, you know, every, everything will work out because God is a God of love. He calls us to love people. So let's just love on these people. I've been in Bible fellowships before where, you know, you say, you know, I was teaching and I would say something and it would rub somebody the wrong way. And then all of a sudden say, well, let's just love on them and God will take care of the rest. Really? Is that the biblical approach? And we're going to see here that it is not. It's very popular today. It's all about love, 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 love. And you know, love is an aspect of our walk with Jesus Christ. I'm not denying love. I'm not saying, you know, hate everybody and try to win souls. No, we're supposed to love. But then at the same time, remember the rock on which you stand. It's Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. You don't have to be offensive. You know why? Because the Bible is offensive in itself. To the natural man, to the natural woman. Because the word of God confronts the flesh, confronts the carnal nature. And so it's such a trip because I've heard people say, people have told this to me. Just love on these bitches. I don't like how you talk like this. Just love on these people. But no, you know, what about when false doctrine comes inside the church? Who's going to stand? You know, what What shepherd today, so-called shepherd, would dispute, debate, and argue? Straight up. You know, there's a big problem in the churches today. And I don't. it's not like an elitist stance. It's not to say like, wow, you know, look at, you know, this is the way it is. You know, this is how it should be. It's not to have that mentality. Because that's prideful. It's to say, you know what? You know, when you stand in the truth of the Word of God, there's nothing really, I mean, there's, there's, it's not difficult. I mean, we read the Old Testament, we read the New Testament, 
we see the nature of God, we understand the character of God, and you know, as you as you do that for the rest of your life, you're going to understand the character of God more and more and more and more. Your relationship is going to get deeper and deeper and deeper with Him. You're going to fall in love with Him so much, and it is incredibly beautiful. But you know how, like you know, you're you have your intimacy with the Lord, which is beautiful, and I am a hardcore advocate of individual intimacy with the Lord. And then you're going to come down from the mountain and you're going to see what in the world is happening here in the camp. Just like Moses. What in the world is happening? You're going to see, you know, golden calves all over the place. And I'm talking about inside the church. The world is the world. You know, I don't want to say I don't care about the world because that's where the fish are. But I'm talking about the church where the lamb and the sheep are. You're going to have your intimacy with the Lord. And then you're going to come down from the mountain. And you're like, what in the world is happening here? Straight up. You know, a church setting, you know, it's a beautiful church setting, a fellowship. Somebody comes in. It's like, you know, welcome. You know, you're welcome here. Guy comes in, a girl comes in. Yeah, you're welcome here. But then all of a sudden, when they start to open their mouth, you know, what are they spewing? What are they bringing in? You know, are, are, are things coming out of their, their, their mouths that's, you know, uh, uh, worship of the Lord? Maybe they don't know the Lord. Maybe they don't have intimacy with the Lord. It's very, it's a beautiful thing to be a fisherman. But then, you know, keep in mind that there's also a shepherd role, especially for church leadership. A pastor, elders, bishops, deacons, you know, ministry leaders. There's a shepherd role. But then at the same time, you look at the church today and it's like, whoa, you know, there's this hardcore ecumenical movement that's happening today. You know, and, you know, it's part of it. it, A lot of things are being revealed in this coronavirus age that we're in. This ecumenism. It's just like, you know, hey, let's uh, this seeker friendly attitude which I'm all for being friendly to, to people, but then at the same time, it's not so much so that, you know, I, don't, I, I deny truth. Look at, like, you see these churches today that are suing governments. They're suing governors. And you see it in the news, like, you know, the, a group of churches pulled together. They're, you know, they came together and they're suing governors. But when you go to the news articles, you know, try to pull up the, the actual lawsuit and you'll see the claimants. That's what I do. You know, I hear about it in the news. It's like, oh, let me let me find out more about this. You know, it's all public information. You pull up the lawsuits and you see the claimants. And you'll see, wow, there's this uh, Protestant church here, Reformed church here, uh, uh, Calvary Chapel here, Baptist church here, Lutheran. It's like a group of churches. You know, they, they're called churches. But you'll see, like, you know. Uh, Calvary chapels in bed with uh, uh, Reformed, in bed with uh, 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 Lutheran, in bed with the Methodist. And it's like, wow, you know, if that's the bed you're going to make, then you got to lay down in it. That's this age of ecumenism. And it's like, whoa, this is crazy. Especially when you consider like, you know, the, 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 the leader of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, he says that the Christian... The Bible-believing Christian should be the biggest proponent of the homosexual agenda. And, you know, 
if you're a carnal Christian, if you don't know the Bible, you'd be like, yes, you know, God is a God of love. God is, you know, peace and all these things. Because it's like the kumbaya mentality. But then you read the Bible. You start to understand the character and nature of our Lord. You'll see how homosexuality is an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. Old Testament and New Testament. And not just homosexuality. Lesbianism. All kinds of different sexual sin. Now, you know, a homosexual to hear what I'm saying and be like, whoa, you know, that's, that's hate speech. No, it's not hate speech. It's love speech. It's to say, you know what? You're in sexual sin. Come out of that lifestyle. Oh, God hates homosexuals. He loves homosexuals. He sent his son to, to die for homosexuals. It's to deny that sin. The same way God loves heterosexual sin. My past sexual sin is to come out of that lifestyle, come out of Egypt, come out of bondage, and be alive in Jesus Christ. God loves you. God loves you. It's like, you know, it's Satan that puts this, not even a veil over our head. He tries to put like a thick burlap sack over our head to blind us. In this age of ecumenism, it's like, whoa, what is really happening here? Churches pulling together. It's like, you know, how the churches have been closed and and, 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 and uh, uh, houses of worship, you see. Like all the, you know, the governors, mayors, they have their interfaith groups. They gather together. They, they'll bring Protestant churches, Reformed churches. They'll bring Lutherans, Methodists. But then intermix with that. I mean, that's bad in itself, doctrinally speaking. But then intermix with that. What also do you, you also have the Hinduists. Muslims, Buddhists, all different kinds of faith. And you're starting to see this like joining together. That's why I say this age of ecumenism. When you hear ecumenism or like ecumenical movement, just think of it's like a, a, a coming together, a banding, a joining together. But doctrinally speaking, I mean, you think of, you hear the words interfaith. I mean, carnal, carnally, you hear the words interfaith and you're like, wow, this is cool. Carnally speaking, you hear the words of churches coming together. You're like, wow, it's, it's time for churches together. But when you're standing on the rock of Jesus Christ and you know his word, and then you hear about interfaithism, churches coming together, you'd be like, whoa, let's. Let's pull the brakes on that really quick. What do you believe? What does this guy believe? What does this church believe? What is this? You know, am I aligning? Am I joining forces with, you know, these doctrines that do not align with Scripture? That's why you hear me say sometimes it's it, it just very, very weird days that we're living in. Very, very weird days. It's like the days of deception. I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you're you're with a liar? Like someone who just lies and lies and lies and lies and is very selfish to get his or her way. And it's like, you don't really want to be with the guy. You really don't want to be with the lady. But it's like, you're with them, you know. But it's almost like you're walking on eggshells. 
Because you know that, man, whatever this guy is saying, whatever this lady is saying, it's a lie. And you don't want to be set up for a fall. That's, that's what it feels like, you know, in this age of what's happening. In this things that are being exposed by the coronavirus. And not just necessarily exposed, but things are, that are being exploited. Remember, there's an antichrist spirit. There's the Holy Spirit, but then there's the fake one that, you know, Satan tries to propagate which is the Antichrist spirit. Satan tries to, uh, 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 you know, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But when we read the events of the last days, you see that, you know, there's uh, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And then there's the spirit of the Antichrist. He tries to, like, make, make himself God, just like what is revealed in Isaiah 14. He tries to make himself God. And he uses these methods in the Antichrist spirit. You know, the last days, it's like Satan knows his time is coming. And he's going to amp up the fight. That's what it feels like. It's like well, this is weird stage that the world is in. But what I want to know is where are the warriors? Where are the ones like Paul and Barnabas? When this doctrine came into the church, there was no small disagreement, dispute, and debate, and argument with these people who were saying, Hey, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Where are the shepherds? Where are the warriors? In the days of Elijah, where are the Elijahs? That's my question. Straight up. <laughs> And you know what blows me away is that it's sometimes it's these so-called shepherds who propagate such things. Let's just love on these people. It's crazy. Crazy, crazy days that we live in. And so look what happens here in verse 2. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Translates as this debate. Remember, you know, there's no reference of epistles that they have. The, uh, the, 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 like, for example, like if this were to happen today, we have Genesis to Revelation. But because this is happening, you know, in the early church, there's no reference of these epistles. And so we're seeing the Holy Spirit guide them like straight up in real time. It, it, and it's so beautiful because you see like, well, you know, it's, it's almost like we're getting like a real time picture of the Holy Spirit guiding. And I love, it's so beautiful to see. And so look what happens here in verse three. So being sent on their way by the church. Now let's pause here for a moment. Being sent on their way by the church, the ecclesia. I love the church here at this point. Because, I mean, I love the church, but like here specifically, it's so beautiful. Because you also get a picture of the church not being a social club. And that's a big problem today. When churches gather, they'll, they'll maybe read a couple verses, tell jokes, the pastor will tell jokes. And then all of a sudden they're done, they break off, and then they go into their, you know, what they really came to church for. Social club. You have women's groups, men's groups, youth groups, 
it's like, well, okay, that's cool to have those groups. I'm not, you know, that, 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 that's beautiful for a church to have groups. But you know what? Don't forget Jesus Christ. Where is the word? And where is the word being taught to disciples, to peoples, people who desire to be disciples? People use activities. People use this social club mentality in order to attract people. That's what churches do. They use these, you know, oh yeah, come to church. We have this nice program. Come to church. We'll do this for you. Come to church. It's like, no, come to church and you're going to hear the word of God. We're going to study the word of God. And I love how it says here they were sent out by the church. Because if this church at this particular time, if it was a social club, I highly doubt that they would have any issue with this doctrine. These guys that come in and say, hey, you got to be circumcised according to the custom of Moses. I highly doubt they would have issue with it because you know why? They would be there for the basketball group. They would be there for the golf club. They would be there for the knitting group, the sewing group. They would be there for the political action committee. But no, you see the ecclesia. Ecclesia is a group of saints. That's how it translates, literally. The saints. A group of people who are set apart. But my question is, set apart for what? When a church is a social club, what are you set apart for? But when a church is a group of disciples, people who desire to be disciples, to open up their Bibles and read and study, I can't say set apart for what? I can say set apart for who? Jesus Christ. You see, truth is desired. When church isn't a social club, truth is desired. You know, say for example, if we were in that church and we're lambs and then all of a sudden these couple guys come in, they say, hey, you guys have to be circumcised. It's like, what? what how that would rock our faith. Like what? I thought we were good to go with Jesus Christ. And now you're saying I have to do this. Like, whoa, what do we do? We don't know. We're lambs. What do we do? And then we say, hey, Paul, Barnabas, you know, can you straighten things out? We hear you guys arguing. We hear you guys talking about it. And we love you, Paul. We love you, Barnabas. You know, and you're like the father of our faith, the father of our, of our, our, our belief. Because we believe because what you told us. And we see you arguing with these guys. But like, what do we do? Can you, can you straighten things out, you know? It's not that we're here for a social club. It's to say like, we want truth. That's what we desire. We desire truth. So we're going to send out these guys. That's what I think is so cool about the church here. That truth is desired. It's not to say that, you know, that they were unwilling to be circumcised. No, I'm not advocating circumcision according to the law. They just wanted truth. And I think that is so beautiful. And I also think it's lacking today in the church. Truth. Even when it hurts. Truth. I tell you the truth. I've been walking with the Lord for you know 20 some years. I say 20 years, but I forget. 
So like in a couple of years, I'm just going to, I round to the nearest 10. So, you know, but I've been walking with the Lord for about 20 years now. A little bit over. And I read the Bible and sometimes it's still a knife in my heart. Still. Because we're carnal creation. We're carnal people, creatures. And you're going to read the Bible and it's going to be like a knife in your heart. And you know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. You're never going to feel a knife in your back. The Lord doesn't do that. He'll come at you from the front. He'll confront you with the front, from the front. And it's not, you know, a knife in your heart. Like, I don't say that like an attack. It's a knife in your heart because you realize, you know, there's your way and then there's God's way. And then you start to read the Bible. You understand your way is not right. And it's you are the one that yields to the word of God. I am the one that yields to the word of God. That's how he works. So look what happens here. The church, they desire truth. It says, so being sent out, by, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles. Remember, salvation was, was for the Jew first, as Jesus Christ says, you know, for the Jew first. But then we saw, you know, it, it, it started in chapter 10, you know, where, where Cornel, the home of Cornelius and Peter. And then, you know, what we saw in a couple of chapters ago, how now Paul, his ministry is for the uh, Gentiles, but he went to the Jew first. And so as they're going south to Jerusalem, towards Judea, in Judea, towards Jerusalem, what happens is they go in Phoenicia, they go in Samaria, and they're going to the churches and they're saying, hey guys, you know, the salvation is not for the Gentiles too. It's also for the Gentiles. It says, and cause great joy to all the brethren. And I think this is so cool because they're heading south, but they're still about the Father's business. Exhortation of the brethren along the way. And great joy was caused to all the brethren, it says here at the end of verse 3. You see, church is in a social club. You know, if you come to church for the basketball, if you come to church for the golf, if you come to church for the political action committee, if you go to church for, you know, uh, the sewing club, if you go to church for the, you know, whatever type of social club there is, I wouldn't call that great joy. I would call it fun. I would call it, you know, it, it, it pleases your senses. But I would call that fun. I wouldn't call it great joy. But you see, you know, go to the truth. You must follow the truth. And here we see in the early church that there's, the truth is spreading. And then the truth is bearing fruit unto Gentiles. Because now it's to the Gentiles and this source of great joy for the early church. It's, you know, they're not selfish. They're not like, wow, you know, this, Jesus Christ is for us only. And now it's going to the Gentiles. No way. I don't like that. No. The fact that it's going to the Gentiles is giving them great joy. Great joy. And so here we are in verse 4. In verse 4, it all comes to a head. In verse 4, and when they had come to Jerusalem, so they arrived now, they were received by the church 
and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all all things that God had done with them. So they start to give a report of, you know, all the happenings, what we read in the previous chapters. You know, what it's what they experienced on the island. And you see, God is active in the church. And then look at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, bingo, the Pharisees, you see, some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed. So several things I have to say about this. I love the fact how there are Pharisees who now believe in Jesus Christ. I love it because we see the indictment that Jesus Christ has for the Pharisees and the religious leaders, namely in Matthew uh, 23. When he says, you guys are whitewashed tombs, you guys are dead. To the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. But even among that group of the religious leaders, some of them, not a lot, some of them believed and received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior and praised the Lord. But I'll say this. The belief is beautiful. That's one thing. But there's still the baggage of the former teachings. It's still the baggage. I'll give you an example. You talk to a Christian, a nominal Christian, and ask them a question. Say you're talking to a nominal Christian guy. And you say, hey guy, is Catholicism Christianity? Almost certainly he'll say yes. And then you go to a Catholic lady and you say, hey lady, is Catholicism Christianity? Certainly she'll say yes. Then you talk to a guy who's a former Catholic and you say, Hey guy, is Catholicism Christianity? And this guy will say, no way. The Lord rescued me from that. I used to be a Catholic, but the Lord rescued me from that. You know, I used to worship and pray to the Virgin Mary. But then I read my Bible and I don't see anything special about the Virgin Mary that deems worship. In fact, it's called anathema to the Lord. That's not to, you know, I'm, I, I'm very respectful towards Mary because I'm a, you consider all the women through the ages, all the women of her generation. And then the angel came down and says, hey, Mary. Well, I meant not like that, but, you know, the angel comes down and has a conversation with Mary. He says, the Lord has seen you. The Lord has been had his eyes on you. And of all the women, you're like the most godly. And holy seed is going to be inside of you. That's like, whoa, like. That in itself says a lot. Just the fact that Mary was chosen. That alone says a lot about her witness, her countenance, her heart. And so I respect her on that level. And on that level alone. She's still part of creation the same way you are, the same way I am. And I don't worship creation. I worship the creator. 
You know, you see these pastors today. How stupid would it be if I said, hey guys, it's Ash Wednesday. So, you know, take some ash and put take the charcoal and put it on your forehead in the form of a cross. Hey guys, you know, this Saturday we're going to have midnight mass. So, you know, bring your candles. Hey guys, you know, on our service, we're going to take the sacraments. We're going to do the Eucharist. How stupid would that be? You see, you can come to Jesus Christ. Anybody can come to Jesus Christ as a Catholic, as a Lutheran, as a Methodist, as Reformed, as whatever, as a drug dealer, as a drug user, as a sex addict, as, you know, whatever, a prostitute. You can come to Jesus Christ with whatever. But you got to leave your bags at the door. And the D is capitalized. The door. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I am the door. You come to Jesus Christ. I don't care about your baggage. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you got to leave your bags at the door. And then you enter. Because you know what happens if you don't leave your bags at the door? You'll be like these Pharisees. Where they believed but they still had the baggage of the law. You see? It's such a trip. But then when you have the mentality that says, let's just love on these people, for a pastor to have that, that's foolish. It's dangerous for the sheep. It's dangerous for the lambs. A flock that is not theirs. A flock that is, it belongs to the Lord. But no, such people are hirelings. They're not shepherds. You know, there's the aspect of feeding the sheep. Feeding the lambs. There's an aspect of, you know, being a fisherman. Being a warrior. But then there's another aspect of protection. That's what I love so much about Paul and Barnabas. Here in, you know, in verse 2, they heard about, what What are these guys talking about? Circumcision. No small disagreement. I wonder, he says no small disagreement, but I wonder how large that disagreement got. How amped up things got. The dispute, the debate, and the argument with them. What in the world are you saying to these people? You're telling them that they have to be circumcised? Where do you get off saying that? You see, it's... You gotta leave your bags at the door. Check your bags. You must. Because that's what you see in the church today. So-called Protestant churches. Saying, okay, it's Ash Wednesday, so we're gonna put the thing on our forehead. You know, are you going to pray to the Virgin Mary too? I mean, if you're a Protestant, don't call yourself a Protestant. Because where's the protest against Rome? That's what I want to know. I mean, if you call yourself a Christian and you're going to start doing the Eucharist, the sacraments, and you know, Ash Wednesday and do the, you know, the cross on your forehead and do all these crazy things in accordance with Rome, you know, where's the protest? 
You see, it's why call yourself a Protestant? You sound like a Catholic that has yet to leave your bags at the door of Jesus Christ. Which means what? You're on the outside. You need to be on the inside. You need to repent, deny those things, and be alive in Jesus Christ. You see? Doctrine. Sound doctrine in accordance with the Word of God. Oh, but you're such a legalist. You know, you're taking Jesus Christ too far. It's not legalism. You know, when you align yourself closely with the Word of God, you can clearly see these things. It's like night and day. You will clearly see these things. You will clearly identify false doctrine. And not just you will clearly see, but you'll have a helper, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be like, hey, this is a Have you ever like been in a situation where you just feel, and I don't want to get all, you know, touchy-feely. But have you ever been in a situation where you're like, wow, this just, something doesn't feel right about this. Doctrinally, like you'll be in a church and you're like, I know these people are friendly. I know they're like telling me all these things and that's cool. That's fine, you know. But it's just like, wow, you know, it just doesn't feel right. And then you get home, you know, you do further research, maybe listen to some stuff online and you realize, oh, that's why it didn't feel right. Their doctrine was wrong. Well, you know what that feeling was? That's the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this ain't right. You know, praise be to the Lord because your receptors are in working order. Praise be to the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed, you know, I love the fact that they believe. They just need to check their bags at the door, which they haven't done. And so look what happens here. They believe. It says they rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. That's their baggage. It's the law. No denial of the laws, which means they have their old beliefs. Their old belief system. You see, and it's dangerous. It is harmful to the church. Old belief systems. You have to check your bags at the door. You can be Buddhist. You can be Muslim. You can be Catholic. You can be Mormon. Or you can be whatever cult like these other cults that there are. But when you come to Jesus Christ, you got You know, you're carrying all your baggage, all your belief systems, all your, you know, even the non-faith stuff. You know, your drugs, your pornography, your whatever alcohol. You come to Jesus Christ, you got to let go of the bags. And then you enter the way. Remember, Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you don't, it's one thing to believe. But then your baggage can cause great harm. Great, great harm. Just as 
what potentially could have happened to the church in you know in chapter 1 or chapter 15 verse 1 but no you have this some shepherds you have some spirit led men who say wait a second let's pull the brakes on this because this is wrong no small dissension with Paul and Barnabas they said no this stuff ain't gonna fly what is this stuff you're teaching and so look what happens here in verse 6 now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter and to consider is to perceive and seek understanding that's what they desired and when there had been much dispute so in this group of people the elders the apostles the, the church as it says in verse 4 it says that there was debate and argument and reasoning that's what much dispute translates as look what happens here Peter rose up. Now, the last time we saw Peter was after the jailbreak when he was busted out of jail by the angel in response to the prayer that was meeting in Mary's home. Remember, we studied that a couple chapters ago. And they were praying at night and they didn't even know that the Lord was responding to their prayer real time as they were praying. It's night. The whole town is sleeping. Even the, the guards are sleeping. And the angel, even Peter's sleeping, the angel wakes him up. That's the last time we saw Peter after the prison break. And here we see Peter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up. Now stop right here. Stop right here. Now I have to say something. And notice in verse 7, there's much dispute. Peter rose up. Now look at verse 12. Barnabas and Paul declaring. Now look at verse 13. James answered. You say, why are we, why do we fast forward like that? Notice these people. Peter, Barnabas, Paul, and James. I'm going to tell you something about drama. When drama hits, when problems, issues, when chaos arises, it's life. As much as I say I don't like drama, which I really don't like drama, it's just part of life. You can't escape it. It's like taxes, you know? You can't escape taxes. You have quarterlies, you have annual, and a bunch more. You can't escape it. It's just an aspect of life. That's what drama is. It's going to hit you. Problems, issues, chaos, they will arise from different people, sometimes from the same person. And counsel is needed. And this is my counsel. Listen to the godly people. Listen to the heavies. And when I say the heavies, I mean those who exemplify the fruit of the Spirit. Those who are humble. Those who exercise self-control. Those who have a strong walk with the Lord. Those who have evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to such people. I love this so much because you have this church that is, you know, in Jerusalem. And not just Jerusalem, but, you know, in Antioch, this drama arose. That's like the, where the source of things happened. The, the, the Pharisees, like you see these, in verse 1, certain men. 
Certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And then look at verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. So nobody put these guys in check. Nobody told these guys, Hey, check your bags at the door. I know you're of the law, but you know what? We're not of the law anymore. That's what's happening in the church today. Oh, what's that? You're a Catholic? Oh, yeah, let's just love on you. Come on in, you know. You want to do your Ash Wednesday? That's fine. You want to do your sacraments? That's fine. What's that? You're a Hindu? Come on in, you know. Come on in. It's okay. And then all of a sudden, the Hindu makes friends and starts spreading all these things. And then people, there's confusion in the church. The Catholic comes in and sits in a pew, all of a sudden makes friends and starts spreading all these things. And then people in the church start, start worship. They go to a home fellowship and then people in the church start worshiping the Virgin Mary. Praying to the Virgin Mary. It's Saturday night. You say, hey, you know, let's, let's go watch a movie. They say, no, 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 we're going to do uh, uh, midnight mass. I'm, I'm getting ready for midnight mass. It's like, what? Because there's this mentality Let's just love on these people and God will take care of the rest. You know, if you have such mentality, God will take care of you. Listen to the heavies. Just like verse 7, Peter, verse 12, Barnabas and Paul, verse 13, James. You know, a huge problem in the church today is that there is no adherence to sound doctrine. I shouldn't say there is none. There, there are some. There are few. And they're getting fewer. Especially now in this weirdness with the coronavirus. Churches that are now aligning with, you know, you see churches banding together. You hear that. Churches banding together. And it doesn't sound bad at all. It sounds actually like, what's wrong with churches being together? There's nothing wrong with churches being together. That's what, you know, you might think in your mind. But what about when I say Lutherans are banding with the Baptists who are bound, bound, bounding with the, the Calvary chapels who are joining forces with the Roman Catholics who are joining forces with, you know, that's just who are joining forces with the Muslims, with the Buddhists, with the Hinduists. After all, these are houses of worship, people of faith. But my question is, faith in what? That's why I say no adherence to sound doctrine. Very interesting timing too. Very interesting timing that all these things are starting to come to it. You hear me say quite often, that we're living in an age where it's not just prophetic fulfillment. It's the convergence. It's like all of these things are happening around the same time in this generation. You know, look at Israel. Look at what's happening in Israel today. Yeah, June 1st is when they're going to start kicking off, uh, kicking off to kick off the uh, peace talks again. They have a rotating presidency now in, in Israel. With uh, Benjamin Netanyahu and uh, 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 Benny Gantz. And in November, Benny Gantz is going to take position and they're going to rotate. Rotate presidencies. 
So say, for example, in the United States, the last election, you know, uh, Hillary and Trump, you know, uh, Hillary Clinton and Trump, you know, what if they were tied, you know, they tied and then we have a second election and then, you know, rather than go to a third election that, that we just say, okay, they're going to rotate. So Trump would be president for six months, you know, Hillary would be president for another six months and they would rotate. Well, that's what's happening in Israel. Talk about continuity of government. How can you have that? When you have two different mindsets. And in June, they're going to start talking their, their peace talks again. The resumption of peace talks. The Palestinian Authority, they thought like, okay, this is too Israel and America centric. So we need somebody on our side. So they've gone to the European Union. They've gone to the United Nations. They've gone to Russia. And they want their own advocacy, like somebody who's a heavy hitter on the global stage. And say, for example, these peace talks go for a couple weeks, a couple months, maybe a year. What if there's an agreement that has come to? They reach an agreement and they sign a document. I'm not saying that this coming peace agreement is the beginning of the final seven years. But I'm also not saying it. I'm not saying that it isn't or it is. Because it could be the beginning of the final seven years of world history in accordance with what the Word of God has to say. Prophecies. Old Testament and New Testament. Once they sign that document, is to say, okay, hit the start button and seven years it begins. I'm not saying it is the case, but I am saying it could be. It's very interesting what's happening around. I mean, just the fact that we have this coronavirus and not just the coronavirus, but what's happening across the world. This union into the world is like, okay, you know, we're all in this together. I hate that saying. We're all in this together. And now you have these houses of faith, these faith interfaith movements. In every state, even in lawsuits against governors, look at the claimants. Look at who's joining forces together. But who are the ones who's like, no, you know what? We're not going to partake in these things. I don't want alignment with the Catholics. I don't want alignment with the Lutherans. I don't want alignment with the Methodists. And, you know, if I do want alignment with the youth, with, with these people, is to say, hey, you guys are the ones who deny your things and leave your bags at the door and enter Jesus Christ. Enter the way. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those are the words of our Lord. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Only. One way. No other way. Period. You see? It's, there's no adherence to sound doctrine. No love of truth. You know, you read the prophecies, you know, because they had no love of truth, God gave them over. God gave them over the, you know, the, the uh, a debased mind. 
a debased mind. Have you ever talked to somebody and it's like, you know, they're talking and they're just talking, talking, talking. And in your mind, you're thinking like, man, this guy's crazy. Man, this girl's crazy. You know, and they're talking about things of faith, so to speak, but faith in what? And what happens if they have no love of the truth? They're given over to a debased mind. It's a form of judgment. Be a lover of truth. I know that there's appealing aspects to, you know, the, the, the thought that says, oh yeah, let's just love on people and God will take care of the rest. It's appealing. You know why it's appealing? Because there's no friction. It's the path of least resistance. I get it. I understand it. That's not to say it's right. Be a warrior for Jesus Christ. In the days of Elijah, be an Elijah. You know, you see Peter, Paul, Barnabas, and James. Where are these people in the church today? Where are the men? Where are the pastors? Where are the elders? You know, a pastor, a pastor stands up and tells his congregation, okay, you know, this week is Ash Wednesday, so when we come to church on Wednesday, you know, put the cross on your forehead in, in your in charcoal. Where are the elders who will say, hey, uh, pastor, you know, that's not... Uh, where do you get off saying this, pastor? But no, you get a bunch of yes men nodding, oh, okay, we're going to do this. Where are the biblical elders? That's really what I'm... I mean, these are hardcore questions. That's what I want to know. Don't forget, we're living in the age of the beta male as well. No stand. No stand. Zero stand. So look what happens here in verse 7. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, quote, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by the mouth of that, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. That's what we read in chapter 10 with Cornelius, the household of Cornelius. And remember when Peter was he was gonna have lunch and he goes up to the roof, and then he's at the roof and he starts to pray, but then the Lord gave him a vision. He was in a trance. You know, is uh, ecstasy. And the Lord gave him a vision of all those things to eat. And he says, no, Lord, I have never had any unclean thing in my mouth. You know, that says a lot about Peter and his heart. It reveals a lot about Peter. Because number one, the Lord is speaking to him. But the number two, when he says, I haven't had any unclean thing before. What about Peter when he was five years old, 10 years old, 15 years old? What about the hypocrite, the religious leaders? You know, they close the doors and in private, they're eating their pork chops. But here Peter is, you know, a young boy. I'm not eating pork chops. It's against the law. You see, you see the heart of Peter. And so he says this in verse 8. So God, who knows the heart... Acknowledge them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. So remember, 
the Jew, when Jesus Christ says, go and share the good news, go and, and preach the gospel, go and make disciples to the Jew first, you know, and then to Gentiles. Both man and God are on the same program because the Holy Spirit fell on the Jews and then the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles. You see, God's not going to contradict himself. And so let's <clears throat> see what happens here in verse 9. And made no distinction. Remember, God is not a respecter of persons. He doesn't care if you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. He doesn't care about all that stuff. He doesn't care how big your wallet is. He doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care about your car. He doesn't care about anything. I mean, car <laughs> carnally speaking, you know, he doesn't care about that stuff. He wants you. He desires you. He's long-suffering for you. You know, God is not a respecter of persons. There's no difference. In Christ, remember when he says here, I made no distinction. Don't forget Galatians 3 verse 28. Where in Christ, no, there's no Jew, Gentile, man, woman, slave, free. Because all are one. That's equality in Jesus Christ. Where you, everybody wants equality now. The only way you're going to get equality is with Jesus Christ. That's the only way. And in a group of people who are set apart. You look at a church today. A Bible-believing church, a Bible-teaching church, a Bible-adhering church. You're going to see black people, white people, Asian people, Chinese people, Russians. I forgot. There's a bunch more, but you know what? You get my drift. People who love truth. And you look in a church and you say, wow, this black guy's talking with this Mexican guy. You know, this white lady's talking with this, you know, brown lady, Asian lady, all these things. It's like, that's the body of Christ. And in Christ, there's no man, woman, slave, free, rich, poor. It doesn't matter. God is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about that stuff. He cares about your heart. He says in verse 9, And made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now therefore, why do you test God? He says, now therefore, that's like, since this is the case, why do you test God? That's a hardcore question. Why do you test God? By putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples. You see, it's, it's, that's the law. That's straight up the law. It's, you know, you put a neck, you put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we are able to bear. And Peter is saying, hey, God freed us from this. He freed us from the law. And now you want to put this yoke on the Gentiles? It's. Why? You see, it's enslavement. You want to put these guys who are freed, you want to put them back in chains? We're going to get to that more. We're going to hit it hard in Romans about the purpose of the law and how the law condemns. And always remember that in our study through the Old Testament on Wednesdays. Because, you know, it's to say like, you know, we see the law, we're studying the law, and we're looking at beautiful, beautiful aspects of the law. But don't forget, we're new covenant believers. In the law brings condemnation. It's the knowledge of sin. Now, 
now that we have the knowledge of sin, is to say, okay, what do I do now? Do I sacrifice animals? No, you receive the sacrifice of God, our Father, which is Jesus Christ. God, your Father, which is Jesus Christ. Receive Him. You see? And so, he says in verse 11, But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. End quote. Remember, it's a body of Jewish believers, and they're speaking about Gentile believers as equals. They're not saying, oh, you know, we're special, you know. We're the church of Jews, but we're, you know, we're believers in Jesus Christ. We're in Jerusalem. We're hardcore. We're special. We're the elite class. No. He says, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Because of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says this in verse 12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul, declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked worked through them among the Gentiles. You see, more testimony of the heavies. And after they had become silent, James answered. So pause here for a moment. So in verse 7, there had been much dispute and Peter started to speak. In verse 12, the people kept silent and Barnabas and Paul started to speak. In verse 13, it became silent and then James started to speak. To speak. And what happens when you have no silence? When you have no silence with the unruly. Men, women, unruliness. You might rise up. Somebody, a godly person might rise up. And even still, there's no silence. All they do is talk, 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 talk. And you can't get a word in edgewise. Talk, 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 talk. There's no silence. Because they don't want to hear. It's like they it's got the, like they have a blockade on their ears. It's also a form of judgment. Deaf to the things of the Lord. Blind to the things of the Lord. Pray for them. Remember, because they have no love of the truth, it says God gives them a debased mind. That they should believe the lie. It's a form of judgment. Pray for them. You see it every... I mean, I've talked with guys. I've talked with gals before. And they tell me they're Christians. They start propagating these false doctrines. They start saying, oh yeah, this, 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 this. And you're like, uh, ooh, uh, you try to get a word in edgewise. You know, like, oh, you, you can't even get like half a second. You're just like... Oh, but then, and then boom, they're off again. And then you say, but, and then they're off again. But, and then boom, they keep saying all these other things. It's talk, 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 talk. You can't get a word in edgewise. But you know what? Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap and it exposes error. It exposes unruliness and it exposes wickedness. Wickedness. Straight up. Pray for these people because they're rampant, especially in the last days. You know, pray for their souls. Intercede for them. Pray that God would open their eyes, would open their ears. 
you know, ultimately it's between them and the Lord. But I love this so much because Peter rose up. They're disputing. Peter rose up. Man, picture that argument. You know, everybody's seated at tables or whatever. They're just arguing and they're just saying all these things. The Pharisees who are believers, they say their piece. And then Peter stands up and starts to speak. The multitude kept silent. And Barnabas and Paul start to declare. They're still silent. And then James started to speak. You see, the heavies. And when I say the heavies, look at what we've read about them thus far. In the book of Matthew and thus far in the book of Acts. Look what we've read about these people. You see, in verse 13, <clears throat> And after they had become silent, James answered saying, Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared, this, Simon, this is Simon Peter, Simon has declared how God at the first, remember this is all initiated by God, all of it, visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. And he starts to speak about Amos, Amos chapter 9, verse 11. Old Testament teachings align with what's happening. You see, they're using scripture, led by the Spirit, you know, uh, uh, Peter, led by the Spirit, Barnabas and Paul, led by the Spirit, James, and not just by the Spirit, by the Word of God. You see? In verse 16, after this, this is, he, he, reads, he, he quotes from Amos. After this, I will return and will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down. I will rebuild its ruins and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things, both Jew and Gentile. You see? And then Brother James continues to speak. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore, I judge. Pause there for a moment. Therefore, I judge. He's saying, in my determination... You know, I have to say something. When people say, this is my determination, or this is, you know, what I judge. When it's spoken by godly people, it's okay. The heavies. But when it's spoken by the ungodly, it's totally not okay. In fact, it's harmful and it's dangerous. You know, when you seek counsel... Listen to the heavies. You know, forget about titles. You have to forget about titles. Because sometimes I wonder if pastors, and if elders, ministry leaders, they use their titles as a crutch. They, they like to, it's a, a source of pride for them. Yeah, I am the pastor. I am the bishop. I am the prophet. You know, I am a prophetess. They use these things as the titles. It's like a, where's the doctrine where's the sound doctrine it's it's like you know a chemist you know a chemist is going to make a, a potion of whatever you know a concoction some kind of I don't know well you have to put the right ingredients the right measurements you got to mix everything right and everything has to align otherwise whatever's in the vial can be harmful 
can be dangerous. You know, or a recipe, you have to follow the recipe. And that's what I love about scripture. You have to follow the recipe. You can call yourself a prophet. You can call yourself a bishop. You can call yourself a priest. You can call yourself a pastor. But that's just the title. Where's the, where's the meat of it? And that's inside your heart. Where's the witness? Where's the humility? Where's the fruit of the Spirit? Where's the, the evidence of a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I'm talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Where's your self-control? Where's your nature that is not carnal? These are people that you listen to. Just says what's happening here. There's this drama that arises in the church. And major, major drama. Because it's doctrine. The doctrine, the, the drama arises, but the source of it is the doctrine. <clears throat> the law. And so look what happens here. James says, therefore, I judge. You know, if I was listening to a, a person like James and he says, you know what? I judge that. I would listen to what he has to say. I determine that I, I listen. When somebody tells you, I think God, be very careful with that. I think God, and then in your mind, as soon as they say that, analyze their life. Look at their witness, look at their countenance, look at their, you know, their, uh, 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 their marriage, look at their kids. Look at everything. You know, is the Holy Spirit with them? What is their doctrine like? I mean, if a Catholic says, I think God, I'm not, that's going to go in one ear and out the other. If it even makes it in my ear. I mean, try to go in my ear hole, it's going to bounce right off. Because this person isn't even a Christian. There's no sound doctrine. I don't want to hear what they think about God. Or you talk to a Buddhist. You know, I think God, it's bouncing off my ear hole. I'm not going to let that stuff in. You see? Be wise to the times. Be wise in your walk. People say, I think God, you know, and if they don't hit the checklist, you know, is this person godly? What is their witness like? <clears throat> Do they have self-control? If the answer is yes, they, they have all these things in accordance with the word of God. You know, don't get crazy. You know, is this person, you know, whatever, you know, don't make up stuff. In accordance with the word of God. It's okay. I want to hear what this guy has to say. I want to hear what this lady has to say. But they don't meet that. They don't hit that. Then they're either fish or they're a lamb. Definitely not a sheep. And potentially even a wolf. You don't know. Because Satan himself presents. He, he presents himself as an angel of light. You don't even know. You know there's wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like a sheep. But it ain't no sheep. You have to be wise. Test the spirits. And so he says in verse 19. Therefore I judge. <clears throat> That we should not trouble, translates as harass, harass. We should not trouble those from among the Gentiles 
who are turning to God, but that we write to them. So let's send them a letter, he says. To abstain from things polluted by idols translates as the pollution of idols. You say, wow, that's the Old Testament. Right. It is in the Old Testament. There are things in the Old Testament that are still true in the New Testament. A lot of it pertains to sexual sin. A lot of it pertains to idolatry. You say, what's an idol? Anything that keeps you away from God, that's an idol. Now, I might not have said that 20 years, 20 years ago. I might have said, well, you know, Buddha is an idol. You know, that might have been it, you know. But today, I say anything that keeps you away from God is an idol. Anything, period, straight up. It could be your TV. It could be your phone. It could be your alcohol. I mean, hopefully you don't have alcohol. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. It could be crack. It could be sex. It could be anything. All kinds of things. It could be religious too. It could be the Virgin Mary. You know, one time, you know, I was out to dinner and invited over to dinner. We entered these people's house and they have all these angels all over the place. Statues of angels, pictures of angels. It's like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, what's up with all the angels? And then the lady comes out and she's like, oh yeah, these these are my angels. You know, I, I talk to them. I pray to them. It's like, what in the world? Get me out of here. I don't even want to be here. It's idolatry. Idolatry. Praying to angels? It's demonic. Say, well, that's hardcore. That's demonic. No, no. We pray to God the Father. We pray to Jesus Christ. Some people pray to the Holy Spirit, but we're not we're not told to pray to the Holy Spirit. Numos. Satan can, you know, there's the uh, the 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 pneumos. Satan is a trickster. He presents himself as an angel of light. You see, it's, and we're straight up living in crazy town. Crazy people are all over the place. People tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Don't allow every wind of doctrine in your heart. Only the doctrine of the Lord, the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation, period. Idolatry. And the lady was saying, oh yeah, I pray to my angels, I pray this. Look, here's my statue of baby Jesus. It's like, well, this is like, that Catholic. It's a trip. It'll blow you away. And so look what happens here. In verse 20, from sexual immorality, porneia. That word sound familiar? Porneia. Translates as fornication, adultery, and harlotry. You know, I had a guy call me one time. He says, oh yeah, you know, can you give us marriage counseling? You know, I proposed this girl. We're going to get married. And it's like, wow, you know, cool. Like, tell me your story. You know, where are you going to church? He says, yeah, I'm going to this church named a a big church. Well-known church. It's like, okay. Well, you know, I started to tell him, you know, I would love to counsel give you this. So. I have some prerequisites, though. It's like, you know, I asked him straight up, you know, are you guys sexually active? He says, yes. Okay, cut it out. You have to repent and cut it out. You guys can't live together. Either you live in the apartment by yourself or, you know, you go back home to mommy and daddy and she go back home to mommy and daddy. 
You guys cannot be together. I mean, you know, you can date and all that stuff and see each other, but I mean, this other stuff, you know, that can't happen. And he was like, well, why? And I told him, look, we're going to do marriage counseling. And I want to counsel you on all these things and teach you about all these things and pour into you. But then at the same time, I'm going to be praying for you. And I can't pray for you if knowingly I know that you're in sexual sin. I can't. Then I'm in the wrong. So what I'm doing now is I'm telling you to repent, change your ways, and then, you know, we'll start our marriage counseling. Never heard from him again. When Satan tempts you, you know, he's not going to tempt you with asparagus. I like asparagus, you know, but, you know, he's not going to tempt you with mushrooms. You know, he's not going to tempt you with that stuff. He's going to tempt you with candy. You know, he's going to tempt you with things that you like. That's how Satan works. He knows how to trick you. But what's so cool about reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and being alive in Christ and growing in him, the Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, will change your nature. You'll start to love the things of Holy Scripture. You'll start start to love the people in Holy Scripture. You'll start to love God even more. You'll start to love these people who make stands for righteousness. And then all of a sudden, Satan's going to come and knock in. Like, I don't even like that stuff anymore. You see, you're different. You're a new creation. That's why, you know, you see all these people who are on milk. I love milk. You know, milk is good for babies. Don't forget that. Milk is good for babies. But when you grow and you mature, you have to put down the milk. You know, you don't see 30-year-olds with bottles still. Although I happen to know a couple millennials. You know, not in the fellowship. I happen to know several millennials who are, you know, 30, pushing 30, who are on milk. It's pretty gross in my eyes, pretty disgusting in my eyes. But that's just me. It's to say, no, grow, mature in Christ. You need to get your teeth and tear the meat of spiritual pork chops. So abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. So when you strangle an animal, there's no draining of the blood. That's what they used to do. Strangle an animal and then eat it. There's no draining of the blood. Remember, life is in the blood. These are things that are in the Old Testament. We're going to read these in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, Numbers, about idolatry, about sexual sin, and then about blood. We already read it in Leviticus chapter 3. Remember, life is in the blood. That means Levitical rules are still in force today as New Covenant believers. Some, not all. Very few. Sexual immorality is a biggie. Idolatry is a biggie. And then blood is a biggie. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith or sear anybody's conscience. But me personally, in my walk with the Lord, like when I go out to eat and I get like a steak or if I cook a steak at home, it's either medium medium well or well done. I know that there's a lot of flavor in the blood. I know that. 
and that I know that you can be, you know, like a skillful chef can use it, you know, and, but if it's not cooked out, I won't eat it. And that's because of this verse right here. Now that's just me personally. I don't mean to, you know, it's not to, you know, sear your faith, no pun intended. But like, you know, one time Liz and I were out to dinner and we're having dinner with these, this couple and the guy orders is rare. He has, he orders a steak. He's rare. It's like, whoa, this is wild. And I see all the blood. It's like, whoa. I'm, I can't make eye contact with this guy because it's just like, I was like grossed out. So I just kept my eyes on my steak, my eyes down. You know, look at his wife, talk to his wife, you know, we'd laugh. But it was gross. I, that's just me personally, but that's because of this, what is written here. If these weren't written, I'd probably do medium. I don't do the rare stuff, but I'd probably do medium, you know, if this wasn't written. But to cut it and open a piece of steak and all of a sudden see red blood pour out. I don't mind pink, but to see red blood pour out. No, it, that's just in my conscience. That's what it's written to the church. <clears throat> but that's just me. And so in verse 21, For Moses had throughout many generations those who preach him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. End quote. And James is saying, hey, let's not trouble these new believers. They're not even Jews. Let's not harass the Gentiles. Today what's happening is Gentile believers are the ones who are turning to the law. <clears throat> Through the Hebrew Roots Movement, they're the ones going back to the law. But righteousness doesn't come through the law. Then in verse 22, it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas. So Barsabbas, <clears throat> the last time we saw him, was in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 26. You know, he wasn't chosen. The lot didn't fall on him in Acts 1. But he still used, you know, 15 chapters later, or in the 15th chapter, 14 chapters later. But here in the 15th chapter, you see, wow, here's Barsabbas. And Silas. And Silas, leading men among the brethren. So we get a picture of church government. And how issues are handled, problems that arise, drama that arises. Always, always, always remember, listen to the heavies. If somebody is an adherence to false doctrine, if somebody is an adherence to whatever doctrine, another religion, another faith, false doctrine or, you know, things that are seeping into the church or not a Christian at all, don't receive their counsel. You have to be wise. You have to be wise. We as a church body have to be wise. We as individual Christians have to be wise. We as individual family units, different roofs need to be wise. You know, the Bible teaches about perilous times will come. Perilous times are here. And so here's the letter in verse 23. They wrote this letter by them. So they, you know, they sent them back to Antioch. And here's the letter. The apostles, the elders, and the brethren 
to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words. You know, when he says it's unsettling your souls, it says here. And this word for unsettling your souls, it's subverting the souls. Translates as to destabilize and overthrow. It's inside the soul. That's the burden of the law. That's the burden of religion. To destabilize and overthrow souls. You know, this mentality that says, let's just love on these people. Let's just love on them. It's foolishness. It's also poisonous. You know, what's better? What's better to say, let's just love on these people, but at what cost? The destabilization and overthrowing of souls, of believers? Let me tell you something. That's demonic. That's straight up demonic. Never ever forget that. Somebody comes at you with false doctrine. You can either say, oh yeah, I'm just going to love on this guy. I'm just going to love on this girl. And let God take, you know, take care of the rest. Well, this doctrine that they propagate, it unsettles souls. It destabilizes and overthrows souls. And you're telling me, let's just love on this person? You see how Satan is a trickster? That's demonic thinking. So now you're on the side of destabilization and the overthrowing of souls. Through false doctrine, you see. Let's just love on these people. It's stupid. It's foolishness. It's poisonous. It's demonic. So look what happens here in this letter. We've heard about these, you know, since we have heard about uh, that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your souls, saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no commandment. So they're saying, acknowledging in the letter, we didn't send these guys. These guys didn't come out from us. I mean, they came out from us, but we didn't send them to whom we gave no such commandment. You see? These former Pharisees are believers, which I love, but the problem with it, the problem with them is they didn't check their bags. They didn't ditch their baggage. And I wonder if these Pharisees, if they desired to be in ministry, if they heard about the exploits of Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, if they heard about the exploits and they're like, wow, you know what? I want a piece of the action. I want to do that too. But you know what? If God didn't call them, you know, God didn't call them. They weren't sent out. But I say this to, you know, people who desire to be in ministry today. If God doesn't send you, don't go. Because you might feel like, wow, you know, I want to be a partaker of this. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. But if God doesn't send you, don't go. You need to be firmly grounded in the word of God, not a novice. You need to be firmly grounded in the Word of God, the full counsel of the Word of God, Old Testament and New Testament. And then the Lord will say, okay, I'm going to use you. 
And then the Lord will call you out, okay? Because it's too soon. If you're a novice, you're going to be tossed. You're, you're, you're like no match for Satan if you're a novice. Look at these Pharisees. They might have thought in their heart like, wow, you know what? This is so cool. I want to be like Paul. I want to be like Barnabas. Number one, the Lord didn't send them. Number two, the church didn't send them. But they had this feeling in their hearts. But they never checked their bags at the door. So what were they doing? Going to the church in Antioch. And saying, you know what? If you guys want to be... They were already saved in Jesus Christ. The work was done on the cross and they received Him as their Lord and Savior. And praise be to the Lord. And then they come in and say, oh, by the way, you cannot be saved unless you're, unless you're circumcised. You see? You see how dangerous false doctrine is? Very, very dangerous. It's unsettling to souls of lamb. Unsettling to the souls of sheep. And the stupid shepherds the foolish shepherds will say, let's just love on these people. I don't want to cause any beef in the church. Oh, by the way, keep tithing. Keep doing your offerings. Keep sending us money. Hirelings. Harm comes and they don't even fight the wolves because they're chickens. Danger comes and they don't fight the wolves. And they're aligning themselves with the demonic. Through the destabilization and overthrowing of souls. Straight up. Let's look at verse 25. It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord. I love this. Yeah, he says one accord. Because you see, you know, in, in, in verse 4, you know, when they arrived in, in Jerusalem and all the beef happened, the disagreement happened, they weren't always in one accord. One mind, the mind of Christ, they didn't always have that. But what I love is they desired it. They wanted it. It wasn't a social club. You see? And being of one mind, being in one accord, it takes time. And what does it require? It requires truth. It requires love. It requires the heavies. You know, if Paul and Barnabas and Peter, if James, if they hated the Pharisees, they would have beat them up. But no, people say like, you know, you can't give, you know, you can be, there's, there's no, to me, there's no greater love than giving truth. There's no greater love than, you know, as the word says, than dying for another person. And to carry your cross in the deliverance of truth and even when it costs you your life, just as these beautiful men, all these people died for Jesus Christ. It's like, well, this is some hardcore love. But then at the same time, they weren't afraid of a fight. Even when they had to fight with, you know, 
somebody inside the church. And I don't mean like going to going to blows. I mean like, hey, what you're propagating, what's your belief system? That's wrong. It's dangerous to the lambs. It's dangerous to the sheep, which are not yours. They belong to the Lord. You see? They're of one mind. But it didn't start out that way, as you see in verse 4. He says, It seemed good to us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So these are men who have counted the cost and they are straight up willing to die. You know, to live is Christ, to die is gain. When I first heard that, I was like, what? To live is Christ, to die is gain. I didn't understand it when I first heard it. To live is Christ, to die is gain? What? And as long as you're living to be about the, the Lord's business. And if you die in the process, praise the Lord. I get it now. I even desire it now. When I heard it the first time, I was like, I don't get it. And I was like, man, dying is gain. I don't want to die. You know, I want to be in the world. I want to, you know, get mine, you know, so to speak. And as I was walking in the wilderness, you know, the Lord was teaching me. The Lord was chastising me from time to time. He was showing me these things. And now it's like, I get it, you know. To die is gain. Wow, that's why. You know, somebody comes, oh, you know what? If you're a Christian, I'm going to chop off your head. It's like, whew. God loves you. And like, lift up your chin. It's like, God loves you. I'm waiting, you know. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ first. Let me tell you the good news first. That's why I love these beautiful, beautiful men. They're not just posers. They're not posers at all. They don't, you know, they don't want the accolades of men. Paul's like, we're not, we're not anything, you guys. It's, we're just planters. We're waters. God gives the increased. You know, you worship him. And so he says in verse 27, we have there, this is the letter still. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who will also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. To lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. You see, no burden of the law, no burden of religion, no harassing of the church, of the Gentile believers. You do these things. If you keep yourself from these, you'll do well. Farewell. Beautiful. I love this. Verse 30. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. So now they're back in town. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. You see? Remember, circumcision was a custom of the Jews in accordance to the law. Imagine what a jolt that would have been to the Gentiles. Say if we were in the early church and we're Gentiles, you know, and the Holy Spirit fell upon us and we're like, wow, this is so cool. We're saved. We're not going to burn in hell. We're saved. And we love Jesus Christ. 
And then all of a sudden, a couple guys come in. You guys have to be circumcised. You have no salvation unless you're circumcised. What a jolt that would be to us. And then, you know, we're like, Paul, Barnabas, what do we do? Can you guys go find out what's up, what's happening in Jerusalem? And they go down, and they come back a couple weeks later. I don't know how long it takes, you know, but maybe the same week. They come back, and they come back with a couple guys with a letter. They read the letter. It's like, wow, that you know, no circumcision. I mean, I feel bad if there was a couple guys that did circumcise that were like, wow, you know what, I want to be saved. And they, I feel bad for these guys. That's what crazy doctrine does. It rips at my heart. Like, you know, I'm talking about pew Christians now. Pew Christians who, who don't know. They don't know the things of the Bible. And they need a teacher. And instead of a teacher, they have a wolf. Instead of a teacher, they have a hireling. Instead of a teacher, they have a weakling. Instead of a teacher, they have somebody who will be open to false doctrine. Instead of a teacher, they have, oh, let's just love on these people. And so these people, the pew Christians, they follow. It's like, whoa, you know what? To the pastors, if you're a pastor listening to this message, if you're an elder, align yourself with what the Bible says is a pastor. What the Bible says is an elder. If you're not like that, then repent and get yourself like that. Or depending on, you know, whatever's going on in your life, you might have to step down. You might have to step down. You know why? Because you're held to a higher standard, you're held to a higher account, and you will give a higher account when you're standing before the Lord. You know, God doesn't play games. He does not play games. He's not in that business. And you know, if you're in ministry because you feel like it's something good to do, well, check your heart. Check your bags at the door. Make sure it's the Lord who's called you into that ministry and not you that just desires to do it. You that just desires that, you know, oh, I feel like this is a good thing, so I'm going to do it. No, the Lord has to call you into that because it's His ministry and you do it unto the Lord. We're living in such dangerous, perilous times. I can't, that doesn't even, the fact that I said that doesn't even do it justice. It's so much more because it's like threats are everywhere. And even more threats are on the horizon for the church, for lambs, and for sheep. Where are the shepherds? This act of this circumcision, remember, and you read the Old Testament, and we're going to get to passages in the law about circumcision. We've already read some. Remember, that was one of the first laws, one of the early, early laws before the Ten Commandments. That's why Moses, you know, the Lord wanted to kill Moses. Because he broke a law. He was going to go out and do the call of the Lord. And, you know, 
uh, uh, give the law, you know, down the road. But he himself had broken the law. And then you have his beautiful wife that, you know, circumcised their sons right there. And threw the foreskins at his feet. And because of the, you know, intercession of his wife, uh, Zipporah, beautiful, beautiful wife. So, okay, husband, you want to break God's law? Not on my watch. Here, you know, throws those foreskins at, that, that, at his feet. Beautiful Zipporah. What an encouragement for wives. You know, husband, you want to be like this? Not on my watch. It's not going to happen. What an encouragement for men too. Like, wow, you know what? If God was going to kill Moses? The circumcision was a shadow of the things to come. You say, you mean Jesus Christ? No, I mean Christians. I mean you. The circumcision of your heart. We're going to hit that hard in the book of Rome, uh, Romans. That was one of the identifiers. Like during the Holocaust, you know, Jews were uh, captured, taken into captivity. And if they were young and strong, they would work. And then they, when they got tired, then they'd be killed. The old people were killed. History in, in, in our generation. 19, late 30s, late 1930s, early uh, uh, 40s. I mean, there's old people who are alive today who live through that. And so a lot of Jews went into hiding. They fled, and if they couldn't flee, they went into hiding. And they would deny their, their religion, deny their Judaism. I'm not a Jew, I'm not a Jew. And so they'd be captured, look at the papers, look at their family lineage. They kept records of all these things. And then they'd go through the medical inspection. And the doctors would check, hey, you're circumcised. You're a Jew. You see, that's it was a custom of the law. But it's a shadow of the things to come. Which is the circumcision of heart. We're living in crazy days. Remember the spirit of the Antichrist? He's going to muddy the waters. That's what he has to do. Because the only people who can identify the Antichrist are the Christians. Those are the only ones. Bible-believing Christians. Bible-adhering Christians. We're the only ones who can identify the Antichrist. And so the Spirit is like a forerunner, you know? Mudding the waters. Trying to put blinders on our eyes. Trying to lull us to sleep. And then also hatred of the Jew and hatred of the Christian. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, it's going to be peace, but it's a fake peace. And then all hell will break loose. All hell will break loose on the face of the earth. The killing of Jews and the killing of Christians. Chopping off our heads. And he will prevail against the saints. It is written. The Antichrist will be given power to prevail over the saints. Wild days ahead of us. Verse 32. Now Judas and Silas themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. You see exhortation of the saints. 
And after they had stayed there for a, a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. So in one accord, in one accord, they go back to Judea and say, hey, everything's fine in, in Antioch. You see, the church, it's like one, one accord. You know, one accord in a fellowship, and then a fellowship, the fellowship in Jerusalem is in accord with the fellowship in Antioch, you see? However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Verse 35, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So the word is spreading. The word is advancing. Then, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. So we haven't seen John Mark in a while. And Barnabas says, okay, let's bring John Mark with us. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. I don't know what happened with John Mark. We see that in thir chapter 13, verse 13. John Mark didn't join them. He went to Jerusalem, and here we see why. That he had not gone with them to the work. Maybe he was afraid. Maybe John Mark was afraid. I don't know. Maybe he just thought, oh, there's, you know. Uh, maybe there was something that happened in Jerusalem that he had to tend to. I don't know. But something happened. There was, you know, some, some more drama in the ranks. It says in verse 39, Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. That's how Paul and Barnabas, they, 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 their disagreement was so hardcore that they said, Okay, you go your way. I'm going to go my way. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. So Barnabas and Mark go one way, Paul and Silas go the other way, and this drama arises. There's this beef that arises, and it happens. You can't escape drama in life. You can't. Period. And when there's no drama in your life, you know, the drama in your life becomes other people's drama. <laughs> That's just a fact. You know, like, it, you know... When your drama is other people's drama, that's a good thing. You know, that's like, okay, Lord, you know, it's a beautiful thing, actually. But when you're, when drama in your life is your drama, that's, that's not, okay. It's to say like, okay, let's, uh, that's not good. I mean, it, it's going to happen, but, you know, let's, let's clear the waters. You know, in this separation of Paul and Barnabas, I have a love-hate relationship with it. I love it and I hate it. I hate it because it's like, I want them together. But I love it because it's like, I understand both. I get both. You know, Paul is gung-ho about the call, but then Barnabas is gung-ho about the heart. I love them both. You know, you see these aspects of ministry. It's like, wow, you know, be gung-ho about the call and at the same time be gung-ho about the hearts. I get it. Turn with me really quick to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Really quick. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse... 
Um, 11. Verse 11. Well, actually, you know, Paul is an old man here. He's dying. He's in prison. He's dying. He's in prison. In verse 7, verse 6, he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also those who have loved his appearing. He's dying. He's an old man in prison. He's still exhorting the church. And then he starts to list names. Dimas, who has forsaken me, in verse 10. He says, uh, uh, you know, having loved this present world. Uh, he went to Thessalonica. Christians, he went to Galatia. Titus went to Dalmatia. In verse 11. Only Luke is with me. That's Dr. Luke. It begs the question, I wonder if, you know, during this time of Luke and Paul together, if Paul was recollecting all the things that Dr. Luke was writing for the book of Acts. I wonder. I don't know. But I wonder. In verse 11, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. That's John Mark. Get John Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. So you see, there was a restoration of this schism that arose between the two. There was restoration. Me personally, I wonder if that's a result of the ministry of Barnabas, the son of encouragement. I wonder. It seems to have... The fingerprints of Barnabas, the son of encouragement, to be with John Mark and say, hey, John Mark, you know, I know there's this call of God that the Lord has for Paul, but you know what, let's, let's take care of your heart. You see, I can't wait for the marriage supper because, you know, it's like, I'm going to be, I have like... All kinds of questions. I want to ask, you know, Dr. Luke, do you know, did you, did you, did you write this when you were with Paul? Did you write Acts? And Barnabas, you know, Barnabas, did you, you know, what did you do with Mark, you know? It's so cool to see the restoration of souls for new believer and also for believers. Just like Paul, you see restoration of souls for new believers. But then in, in Barnabas, you see restoration of souls for believers. Then you start to see the schism, maybe perhaps spiritually speaking, isn't really a schism. Because it's all about the souls. People's hearts before the Lord. Being right before the Lord. Being clean before the Lord. Just like we're reading in Leviticus, clean before the Lord. Through blood. Through blood. You see, now let's go back to Acts. In closing, verse 40, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You see? Drama, it's a fact of life. It's going to come. It's going to go. It's going to pass. You know? But don't ever, ever, ever forget when drama arises it always, always, always needs to be addressed with truth and love. Not a mentality that says, oh, let's just love on these people and God will take care of the rest. No, you love on people by giving them truth and standing firm on Jesus Christ. 
and winning souls for Jesus Christ. And in some cases, you need heavies. You need heavies. Just like we see with Peter, Barnabas, Paul, and James. And, you know, you read further. And now you see more people in uh, Barsabbas and Silas. Because, you know, they themselves being prophets also exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words, as is revealed in verse 32. You see? Drama always needs to be addressed with truth and love, and also love and truth. See? That's how the Lord teaches us. It's okay when, you know, when there's no small contention, when there's no small disagreement and dispute and debate and argument with people who are propagating false doctrine. It's part of the gig. You know, it's it's part, if you're a pastor listening to this message and you're like, oh, I want to be peaceable with everybody. And you know, you can be peaceable with everybody. But when they know where you stand and you know where they stand, it's like to say, hey, look, God loves you. You know, I'm a Christian. I believe in the Word of God. And you're propagating these things that don't align with the Word of God. Well, I'm going to confront you on it. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, you're responsible for sheep. You're responsible for lambs. And you will be held to account. If you have a kumbaya mentality, repent. If you have a let's just love on these people mentality, repent. Repent. Because such mentality is demonic. Because of what it does to God's lambs and God's sheep in the destabilization and the overthrowing of souls. It's warfare. Straight up. It's a fight for souls. It's a battlefield. In the days of Elijah, be an Elijah. That's not just for pastors and elders. It's for all Christians. Look at the days of Elijah. Remember the prophecy, you know, when the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to be here. And people were, you know, they're like, where's Elijah? You know, some say he's Elijah. Some say he's a prophet. And then the disciples ask, you know, Lord, was John the Baptist Elijah? And then he says, if you're willing, if you're able to, if you're willing to receive it, he was Elijah. It's not reincarnation. It's the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of Elijah at the first coming. Where were the Elijahs? The spirit of Elijah in the second coming. Where are the Elijahs? That's why I say in the days of Elijah. Be an Elijah. Praise be to the Lord. God bless you. Love you guys. Miss you guys.